That's pretty cool. A lot of, a lot of kids in that. Um, half of them were my grandchildren. Yeah. So it's so special watching that. Um, this microphone's not going to. I'll get it right, Blake, here in a minute. Um, so I, I want to um, just ask you a, a question that'll maybe set up what we're going to do today, talking about this idea of, of being kid-ish. Um, and this, is, this, this may seem off topic, but it's not. Trust me. I'll, I'll get there. Um, but uh, what, what is, or who of you, uh, uh, Justin's already pointed out there, <clears throat> some weirdos in the crowd that like Christmas music, November 1st, you know, as soon as like 102.1 starts playing it, it goes on in my house as well, November 1st, and, and we'll play until March 31st. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I mean, who couldn't listen to Mannheim Steamroller again or TSO or all that kind of good stuff? You know, it's just good stuff. But um, who of us in here has a favorite movie that when you say it's your favorite movie, people look at you like, I've never heard of it before? You ever ever had that experience? It's like, you know, a lot of us, you know, your favorite movie, you know, is... is, um, it's something that everybody, it was, a, it was a smash hit. It was a blockbuster, you know, and uh, I, I love anything Born. you know. I'll just take Born all the time or, or uh, in, anything Top Gun or, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I have a favorite movie that oftentimes leaves people a, a little bit stunned or dry or, or perplexed or puzzled. When I say that one of my favorite movies is Grand Canyon, No one? Black and white? No, it's not black and white. No, no, it's, it's in, <laughs> it's in color. It stars, you know, people you know. Danny Glover's right. He's one of the, the co-stars. Kevin, um, Kevin Klein. Yeah. Steve Martin, uh, Mary, Mary someone, anyway, maybe it's. Oh, someone's got Google out. Uh, so, so why do I like it? Uh, it it's, it's an unlikely relationship between a, um, a guy in L.A. who drives a Mercedes-Benz. Uh, he's white, he's rich, and he's up, up and, you know, he's, he's in the deal. And Danny Glover uh, obviously is black. He's a truck driver or a, a, a wrecker. Uh, it drives a... Uh, a wrecker, uh, and they meet in that profession. Believe it or not, the Mercedes breaks down. Always, you know, for those of us, <clears throat> for those of us who don't drive cars like that, we always take great uh, joy in seeing those alongside the road. Um, because I, I once almost bought a, a BMW. A neighbor of mine had a BMW that was really quite cheap, and I could have flipped it really quickly if I wanted to, and um, I didn't, because someone said to me, um, I said, you own a BMW, friend, what do you think about BMWs? And he, he said, well, he says, as long as you're comfortable with a $1,000 ticket every time you take it in to get fixed. And I was like, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't take my cars in to get fixed. I fix them myself if I can, and, or find a friend who can do it. And, um, but anyway, back to 
the movie, Grand Canyon. It's about two unlikely people who come together, and, and they end up at the Grand Canyon. Hate to be a spoiler. I know you're all going to go home and watch it, you know. Um, but uh, they, they end up at the Grand Canyon uh, together. Uh, but the, the metaphor behind the Grand Canyon, the physical nature of it, is the fact that these two individuals who normally in life would probably never, ever come together, would probably never find themselves in the same social environment and naturally uh, be friends, became friends over a car breaking down and uh, an intentional engagement, a relationship that started and then they find themselves at the Grand Canyon. And the, the beauty of it is that the, that metaphor is simply you and I. When we look at one another, uh, we're like a Grand Canyon. The beauty, the awe, the wonder of it all sitting next to a human being. And, and their story, the, the, the narrative of their life on a daily basis, much less what exists in the past up to today, is, is actually awe and wonder. You know, when we begin a spiritual journey, we begin to discover who Jesus is, most of us are looking for Jesus for answers. You know, most of us are trying to figure out, you know, give us some answers to life. And we're coming to God, we're finding Jesus, we're opening the Bible, we're reading for ourselves. But if you spend enough time just wandering through the life of Jesus, you discover that he asked far more questions than he gave answers about 300 plus questions that Jesus asks in the four books we call the Gospels, the, the stories of Jesus' life. He was a curious person. He was interested in people. And his interactions show that as, as we read about him. But today we come and, and we try to find a path back. A, a path that finds us getting back to what would it be like to have that awe and wonder about life. And this first stop along the way is the idea of regaining a childlike vision of life. And so I want to take a moment and, and sort of uh, help us frame where we're headed today. So I'm not talking about being childish. Some of us have that down really well, all right? Not pointing any fingers, but take your hands down. Um, we're talking about being kid-ish, all right? Kid-ish as opposed to being child-ish. And so I, I need a little help here today. Um, you know, in a former life, I used to be the vice president of human resources for a national organization based here in Kansas City. And uh, in human resources, you know you've got two tools. You've got a T, and then you've got also a XY graph. If you can do that, you can exist in the human resource world. Uh, so so I, I want us to, to think for a moment about what's the difference between being childish and being kid-ish. All right? Are you thinking? Okay. Just wondering. I can hear it. I can feel it. All right. So help me out. What, what are some characteristics of being childish? Immature. Immature. So 
let me just pause here for a second. Please, only say words I can spell. All right? <laughs> okay. No accountability. I heard something over here. Greedy. Greedy? Ah. Someone out here? Selfish? No, selfish, not shellfish, right? <laughs> okay. okay. All right. This, this side over here is being a little... Weiner? Is that with an H? Weiner, is that right? Yes. My wife's a whiner, but not with an H. Um, <laughs> I said, er, no, oh, whiner. No. All right, all right. Anything else over here? Temper tantrums. Okay. Whew, you're getting close there. Temper tantrum. Whew, I think I got it. All right. Now let's move over to the other side. What do you think here? If you think about if. If we don't want to be this, if this is not what we're talking about here in terms of being kid-ish, what are we talking about here? Fun? Did I hear fun? I hope I heard fun. All right. Curious? Okay. Uh, Maybe? I don't know. Wonder. Wonder. What was that? Carefree. Carefree. Playful. A couple more. Innocence. Innocence. Did I get those all? I missed one. Joyful, amazed, wow. I think we could just pray and go home. You guys kind of got it here. So. <laughs> now just go do it, right? One more. One more. What was that? Unconditional love. All right, we're going to stop there because I'm about to go into failure mode, spelling-wise. All right. All right. So, you know, this idea of, of having a sense of innocence, a sense of moving into the world, uh, almost a feeling, a sense of safety uh, rather than a sense of fear, uh, all, all those kind of things, are, I think, are bound up in that. And so I'm going to stop there and invite Justin up here uh, to help me out here. Good to have you. You know, it's great to be here, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Nice and cozy. With the anything else about me you don't know? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> if you don't know it, Roy and I live nine houses from each other. I was a teenager from Plattsburgh, Missouri that went to Northwest Missouri State and did some internship work with Shoal Creek, met his eldest son, Trevor, up at Northwest, and uh, he afforded me uh, the, the freedom to live in his basement, and uh, I got to live there doing internship stuff, and then uh, ended up buying a house nine houses down from Roy, and so um, it's, you know, it, it is good, 
in this world to work and live close to your mm. boss. I would love to dispel the myth, you know, like sometimes there's that idea of like that, but just these, the sense of um, care and uh, brotherly and familial love, you know, it's like it can be good yeah. um, to work and love and be with those you know. So even, yeah. even nine houses down, we're, we're, we're still, still bros, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about your journey here in yeah, terms absolutely. of childish and kiddish. Right. Um, I keep spot for that so do, people can keep seeing it. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, you had it and lost it? The sense of childishness it, to kiddish? Yeah, yeah. Kid, you, you had the kiddish thing right. and maybe and then, lost it along the way somewhere. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think the way we're wired, and, and you know, me specifically too, it, there, there is that... There's a natural trust, I think, we, and we get that. We get that when we, you know, Jesus, you know, we can look at the scripture. He talks about coming to him and the, those, are, those that are greatest in the kingdom have a child sense of wonder to them. And I think about us as humans. I think about how we're created. I think about having a creator, having a father, you know, as the Bible describes it. And it's like we do come into this world with a certain sense of trust, a trust muscle perhaps, or a framework for trusting, right? You know, and, and it's subconscious maybe at the level, because you're a baby, right? <laughs> like, you know, like you, uh, I, I think about the video that we watched, okay? Like those, uh, one, one thing is, that's not a joke, half of those were your grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I remember my, my son being in that too, yeah. you know, and, and there's this thing that's getting ready to happen. I'm getting ready to turn 40 in two weeks, okay? getting ready to turn 40. I'm excited for it. Everybody's like, yeah. like I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I look at this as like a second act, a second opportunity to move into an adult life, you know, having learned from a lot of failures and a lot of this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's part of my journey is uh, being childish is not seeing your childishness, you know? And mm -hmm. so there's, there is this sense, this kind of duality where it's like, I can remember um, you know, being kiddish, especially I think I was thinking about like a sense of wonder, having a sense of wonder in life. What was that like for me growing up? What was that like for me this time of year in this season? And I think about growing up on a farm and having my parents and my family having horses. They may have horses. We got horses. Any horse crowd up in here? Nope. Well, oh, wait. Oh, there's one. Who had it? Oh, you had horses. So horses, maybe horses growing up. Horses scared the crap out of me. Okay because you can't control it. It's a beastly animal, right? Like this is a 2,000 pound animal that has its own brain, right? And it, it's not like anything else. And so, but my mom would uh, pull us behind a sled, behind Cody, our gray quarter horse gelding. And so Cody was this gentle giant to me. And when it got cold and it would snow and there'd be enough snow on the ground, I can remember being little, being, being very little and just being in this little gray sled and my mom having a horse and just Cody, the gentle giant um, of my growing up who I could pat on the nose or on the, you know, the side of the neck. And there was a sense of solidity to him, you know, like a big animal that's gentle, you know, it's like that sense of solidness, you know, it's like, oh, this is, this is, this is a big thing. It could crush me any moment, but also the spirit and the nature of it all. And it, that's a sense of wonder right there. That kind of like, wow, this thing could stomp on me, you know, but I, I can remember being growing up and growing up around this time of year. I can remember being little and, and there's a sense of trust. There's a sense of amazement. There's a sense of, wow, that comes with all of this and it comes with this time of year but I think what ends up happening when you're a child right is like you you start to become aware of the brokenness in this world right you start to become aware of um, things don't always sparkle and glitter you know like things things get dim things get broken you know things happen in life 
And so um, a lot of us, a lot of you and me, you know, I, I can remember, um, you, you know, like starting to experience family brokenness. And I know there's a lot of people in this room here, you know, not just me, you know, who you start to see like, oh, my parents are just human, right? Or the relationships um, that I have with adults or I see other adults, how they treat each other. There's a lot of brokenness in the world. And so um, you go to school, right? Like I work with uh, teenagers a lot still, you know, I have my sons in middle school right now. You know, and so you start to hear the stories of what it's like to have these peer-to-peer -peer relationships, these peer-to-peer -peer reactions, and to be treated like crap, and to want to then treat others like crap back. And that sense of like eye for an eye, right? That sense of, man, I am going to treat you differently because you treated me differently. And, and the world becomes a little less shiny, a little less dull. You, you, we start to get away from kiddishness, that sense of fun, curious wonder. The world's an amazing place. God made these giant horses, animals, like these beasts, these warriors, and they pull me with a sled. Because, you know, like that sense of wonder, the sense of the Christmas tree, the sense of the elf on the shelf, and where is he going to be today? <laughs> you know, my little girl, my little daughter. She gets up and looks for our elf on the shelf because we don't know where he goes. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know where he's at. And she takes a picture of him every day on her school iPad, and she charts where he's moved to every single day. Because of what? The sense of carefree, playfulness, innocence, you know, amazed, joyful, that sense. But things happen. We experience such brokenness. This world can be cold. It can be hard. And so that... So then we start to um, exhibit, right? I start to exhibit, you know. I, I become just as much of a contributor, just as much of an agent in a world of brokenness as I am a victim of it. And I just perpetuate that cycle. And so I think did you recognize that in yourself? That building that wall of self-preservation when you decided it's not safe, Someone needs yeah. to protect me. No one's going to protect right. me. Right. So, so much of that becomes like I can remember growing up, you know, and, and again, like, like many of you guys, like a, a household with, you know, I, I think, like, again, like I think with the parent, the familiar relationships, right? Like we have a sense that our parents are the adults, and then there becomes a spot where um, we're like, oh, they're just as broken. Maybe I have to be the adult in the room, you know? And then I can remember putting that sense together of like, okay, I, I need to be the savior of my world. I can't trust my adults to take care of me. I can't trust anybody else to take care of me. And so that, if, if, if you could, one of the keys, I think, in looking and diagnosing when am I living childishly or, or when am I losing my sense of childishness, you know, in a good sense, right? That's what, that's what we're trying to focus on. There's a childishness, there's a goodness in, in being like a child, as Jesus says, right? And that's a sense of trust. If, if we're to like take, take a magnifying glass or like try to peel back some layers and look at underneath some of the actions, I would say, especially for me, self-preservation. That idea of I need to save myself. I'm responsible for what happens to me. No one's going to do that for me. And I don't know that this is conscious, like as a, as, you know, as, as a, as a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, mm -hmm. as an adolescent growing up, it's like, that's not, that's not like kicking in in that sense from like, there's not an intellectual, aware, there's not self-awareness. But I'm, I'm looking at my life, I'm looking at as teenagers, like I'm completely driven by a sense of self-preservation. The better I do in life, as an academic achiever, or a sports achiever, 
or I look at some of my kids who maybe are, you know, I got three kiddos and one of them's a class clown, right? So, so we start to gravitate towards a type of identity, you know, the achiever, the doer, the people pleaser, these kind of personas. There's, you know, and you, and you fill one of those, right? Who are my achievers right now? You rely on your achievement to make it in the world. It's okay. It's a, it's a safe place. Yeah, I can do it, right? Like, I'm an achiever. I'm going to be really good at this, and I'm going to find my safety in that. Some of you are people pleasers. Who are my people pleasers? It's okay. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> Thank you. You felt that pressure, didn't you? You wanted to please. And so you're like, me, sorry, you got me. Oh, you know, I had you on the hook. I'm so sorry to do that to you. Right? But you, you start to gravitate towards a sense of, I need to have my own identity to be safe. Mm -hmm. I have to craft my place in the world, and so I'm gonna use my skills, my talents, my abilities, and I'm gonna be saved by that kind of effort because um, my, my parents aren't gonna save me, my siblings aren't gonna save me, my teachers aren't gonna save me, my friends aren't gonna save me. That sense of brokenness, it pushes you towards a self-preservation, and then, boy, I tell you what, the world starts to get dark. You start to get dark and you spin in that darkness, and there's a huge need for light to enter into that. So I would say that. Most of us can manage it. Um, you know, we, we, we find a manageable way in life yes. to, to kind of get along, yes. but, but, but some of us have the gift of, of having a moment when, mm. when it all comes crashing down. Right, right. You know, when it, it, it comes unraveled, right. and, and we have to look at it. I right. mean, we can either reassemble it at a higher level right. and become even more, or, or we can be honest about it and right. say, I, I really can't protect myself. Right. Um, right. And, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I could, yeah, for me, I know as an adult, as I'm approaching 40, like that has been huge, a huge free, like breaking down, allowing yourself, whether it's a little breakdown or a big breakdown. Little breakdowns during the day can be good, big breakdowns in your life can be really good too. Because I look at like about three, four, five years ago, again, it's like, Look at me as having this persona as an achiever. And I'm, any of you other achievers, and I know there's some of you that didn't want to raise your hand, so this is important to you too. That idea of like, I can manage my world. You know, I can live with a sense of being in control of my world. But that doesn't provide a sense of infrastructure that's going to keep you uh, thriving and keep that sense of wonder alive in your world. Because all of a sudden, you're going to feel super freaking responsible for everything. And all of the weight of that is going to absolutely crush you. And you're going to try and power up, and you're going to try and overcome that. And so I can remember, again, graduating, you know, as a teenager, let's say as a teenager, uh, adopting this identity of self-achievement. This idea of it, it falls on me to be, and I have to be good to be safe in the world. Like I have to be a good son, I have to be a good student, I have to be a good whatever, right? And so building this kind of image, this kind of identity of this is who I have to be to be okay, to be safe, to have what I want in life, to get what I want in life. And so um, even, even after, and I really didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus during that part of my life as a teenager. Like I had a sense of God and who he was, but it was, it was um, ingrained in kind of a liturgical Catholic tradition, you know, and so I didn't really know God as father. I knew God as kind of judge and jury and executioner, uh, but, not, but not this sense of like fatherly love. And so I carry that even into my relationship with Jesus. And I know some of you are like that too, and you're some of that spot where it's like, you can have a relationship with Jesus and still be completely cemented in this uh, 
relationship of, uh, of self-preservation and trying to feel like I have to be a good person, I have to do good, and all of this weight feels on you. And so then I get married, and the weight of the marriage comes on top of me, right? So you think about that. Like, I, I got to be responsible for another human in this world. I got to bring in paychecks. And then I have one kid, Everett, you know, and that puts a little more weight on my shoulders, right? And then I have a second kid, Cortland, and he puts a lot of weight on my shoulders. And then I have a third kid, Isla, and that becomes weight. Do you guys feel, are you guys, are you guys stressing out too, like me? <laughs> Oh, is everybody? <laughs> but you feel it, right? Like if you were to sit there and you were to like list out your responsibilities in the world and you think about all the things you're responsible, do you not feel a weight? Do you not stress a little bit when you think about all the pain that could happen if you fail, if you don't come through? And I didn't have a way to emotionally express that. That's a part of my broken story, not feeling safe. To, to let people be curious about me because mm-hmm. of the self-preservation. Make sure everything looks good. Th- that kind of imposter syndrome, that idea of everything has to look okay. Don't let anybody in. Don't let anybody see that I'm a Grand Canyon, <laughs> you know, like, or, or, or the picture. Don't let people mm-hmm. see into the nooks and the crannies. Deal with it yourself. Do you deal with it yourself? Or do you, do you let people explore you do you let people be curious do you let people have a sense of wonder in all the little pieces and and maybe not everybody but is there just one person in your life that you can be completely vulnerable with where you can be a completely exposed grand canyon i don't know that i learned how to do that and most of us don't learn how to do that growing i mean honestly it's just we just don't know how to do that and so it takes being shepherded it takes being guided it takes, um, for me, it's like I crashed in 2020 because of the, just the stress and the COVID and everything like that. And, and it, it took me realizing like I had built a life, even as a Christ follower, like this is what was, was maddening to me and pissed me off and made me, I have a book called Renovation of the Heart that I've read a, you know, tr- a couple times, but I've never gotten to that last chapter because he's just so, <laughs> right? But I can remember one day being so frustrated with myself and so frustrated with my spiritual journey. And here I am, probably a 12, 13, 14-year staff member here at this church, this faith community, and I took that book and I flipped and slammed it against the wall as hard as I could, and I broke the binding of it because I couldn't get it even as a Christ follower for near 20 years, even as a staff member for almost 15 years, I felt like I was being ripped apart, breaking apart. I felt like I didn't have enough faith. I didn't have enough trust. I didn't have, you know, and I was pissed Mm -hmm. and I was angry. And it just takes that being willing to let people explore you and ask questions about you. Like, Justin, why why do you think you can handle this? Why do you think you have to handle this? Why do you think you've got to do it this? Why do you think you have to live at this level to be like, oh, wait. You don't have to rely on yourself so, so, so much. You can rely on this God who is a father, who is a protector. And, that, and that's what helps us in that. Do you mind if I share right now? No, go bit, ahead. So, and just this week, I've been reading um, Psalm 18. And I don't have the scripture for you, so if you don't mind, uh, if you have it in your like a Bible app, if you brought a Bible, it'd be Psalm 18. Verses um, 30 through 33, uh, and I'll, I'll read it out loud, um, give you just a second to get there, but I've been reading this verse, and I remember reading this like back in college, and I read it in a different translation, the NASB, or whatever, like this really standard, I'm reading the NLT now, but um, 
this really stuck out to me probably like 10 years ago, and I've been coming back to it just this week, just this week, and to me it speaks about that idea of, of, of trust that comes with wonder and that idea that we need trust, and trust is that key ingredient that keeps, um, keeps the walls of self-preservation from closing in. And so in verse 38, Psalm 18, verse 30, um, King David says, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength, and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. See, for me, I lived with a sense of self-preservation. I can't really trust anybody else. I have to be perfect. And if I don't, I'm going to fall down the side of the mountain. For me, there existed a grand canyon of just my own sin, my own darkness, my own brokenness, that if I fall off the side... <laughs> no <laughs> <You> ever, ropes. <laughs> oh my gosh, you ever see those golden eagles, those uh, YouTube videos of golden eagles that grab lambs and drag them and drop them into canyons? That's how they hunt. Oh yeah, it is terrifying. I saw your eyes go like uh, saucer. But that idea of like a bottomless pit. And that was the fear living inside of me that, oh my gosh, I can fail. And, and that, that's self-preservation. It's up to me. It's up to me. I can't really trust God. I might say I'm a Christ follower. I might say I'm a Jesus follower. But until you're kind of thrown off the edge a little bit <laughs> and you let God be the one to save you, you don't get it. You, know, it, you just don't get it. And that's not, that's not any fault. But you have to go through the experiences where you're plunged. So for you, I mean, there were a lot of us trying to climb up that wall of self-preservation. Right, right, right. right, right. But God, God sort of crushed that wall. Right. Of, and so the identity that you live with inside that was fearful for you. Yes. I mean, you were afraid that we would see you right. for who you were. Right. And, and you exchanged that identity right. for a whole new way of thinking. Right. Can you yeah. explain that a little bit? So, so for me... Again, like a performance-driven person. And I think a lot of us are. You know, at some level, I would really say every single one of us is a performance-driven person, right? Some of you might uh, express that more than others, but every single person in here is a performance-driven person. You are measuring yourself according to some kind of standard. And so for me, I would measure myself to how I perform to others, human praise, people-pleaser, yep, me here too. And so that idea of like, I have to have this identity and I have to perform and I have to do really, really, really good. And that became my identity. Uh, you know, I think the, the good, like I said, the good son, the good employee, you know, that kind of self-savior complex, you know, whether I, I probably wasn't humble enough to admit it at the time, but that kind of, had that idea of a knight in shining armor. You know, I'm going to be a really good person. I'm going to always tell the truth, right? You know, like that kind of sense. Like I found so much identity in being good. It would be if you want to get your own fingerprints on the Bible or if you ever have and you explored the story of the Pharisees, maybe the Apostle Paul, uh, that idea of like it's my works that my identity are in. It's, how, it's my ability to achieve, my ability to produce, to do that. And I came to realize that like, I heard this the other day, and I, and I hope it makes sense. I have a question for you. It's, again, random. It's going to be random, but we're going to get there. <laughs> Let's say you were, uh, you were sleeping in bed, okay? It's night, nighttime. You're going to go to bed tonight. You're going to think everything's great. Everything's going to be wonderful, right? And a tiny little venomous spider crawls into your sheets. Whew. 
I know, that's why I want you here. I want your adrenaline to go up a little bit. You might pay attention more, Denise. <laughs> and that spider, venomous spider, bites you and kills you, right? You're dead. You're dead, okay? Scenario one. Scenario two, you go to bed tonight. You're sleeping. You go to bed, and a giant lion breaks in through your window and mauls the crap out of you. Tears you limb from limb. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> Your guts and the whole thing. Hold You're dead. Now, which one is more dead? <laughs> one's pretty dead. One's ugly dead. Right? But they're both dead. Yeah. That's how I lived my spiritual life. Pretty. But I was still dead. You might not have seen the mess on the outside because it was pretty. I worked really hard. I always worked really hard at being pretty dead. But it doesn't matter if you're pretty dead or you're ugly dead. You're dead. And, and that's the message Jesus brings to us. And we, we have a trouble receiving that, especially because a lot of us are good citizens. We can really look to the other people around us. Well, at least I'm not that dead. At least I'm not ugly. I'm not that bad, right? So, so much of my identity was around this idea of like, I, can, I really can't be good enough to deserve God's favor. I really can work hard enough and work good enough and have an identity built in I'm on his team, you know, and I'm not like those other people. But when you peel back the layers, it's like dead is dead. And that is perhaps the core of Jesus' message and the core of why Jesus came as a child into this earth and incarnated himself in the flesh is because it doesn't matter if you're pretty dead or if you're ugly dead, you're still dead. And, and, and that's a, that spiritual sense of you still don't have a connection with your father. You still don't trust in him. You're still trusting in your ability to save yourself instead of being saved by Jesus Christ and who he is. And so I think what you said earlier, Roy, about the whole idea, if you look at the Gospels and you look at what Jesus does is he uses questions, right, mm -hmm. not answers. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of that is, is, again, we are managers. We want a plan that we can execute. And if we can figure out a playbook for life, we'll feel safe, right? But Jesus doesn't want you to live your life as a manager. He wants you to live your life as a truster. And so the answer isn't having answers. The answer is himself. The answer is Jesus being everything you ever need. And you won't know how much you need him until something in your life is, that you've built your throne on is threatened. It sucks to have that one thing, whether that's your identity, how you've built yourself and you've built your life, or a relationship or a job. It sucks. But until that is threatened, you won't really understand what it means to give Jesus the throne chair of your life and realize that that ultimate sense of needing to be safe like a father, you know, that, that, that opens it all up. You're not going to get the freedom of that until you realize that Jesus is all you need. Anything else in your life can be taken from you, but if you have Jesus, you're going to be okay. I mean, when you talk about Betsy, um, for those of you who don't know, Roy's mother-in-law passed just a few weeks ago, and to get to hear you describe that intimate moment of her final hours and her talking about being with Jesus, and seeing Jesus and going up and down on an elevator, that was such a joy to me. Mm -hmm. I know it's hard to talk mm -hmm. about losing people and stuff, mm -hmm. but oh my gosh, I felt that. And it gave me such an affirmation that Jesus is real. 
to think about Jesus being there and being like, okay, I can do this thing called life. Because as long as I have Jesus, it's going to be okay. We can get cancer, die, whatever. you know, like people can get sick, car crashes, lose things, but like this world, and maybe that's the sense of wonder that we have to live in. It's like being present, right? Kids live with the sense of being present. Be present in this world, people. Be present right now. There's so many beautiful things around you, not getting caught up in what do I got to do? What do I got to achieve? Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge thing. And that idea that Jesus is always with me. Jesus is always with you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're walking through, that will bring you a sense of security and safety that will allow you to open yourself up to all kinds of opportunities and all other kinds of relationships so you can bring that same light and hope to them. Yeah, yeah I think if Jesus were here today, he would probably build a tool for us to take away. And that tool would simply be a question. Um, in those moments... Um, when you are feeling the emotions, you, you feel the voice of your heart rising up in you, and you have these emotions. And so the question is, is that um, what identity am I living out of right now? And for those of us who express fear, you know, that, that fear is a, a signal to the fact that I'm living out of an identity of Trusting myself. Uh, I'm going to have to figure out how to avoid this thing because I'm in charge here. Uh, And at the beginning of the psalm, the the book that David wrote in uh, the second half, first half of the Bible, um, he, he starts this psalm 18 by this. He says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You know, it's, it's important that David's just not stating these kind of, you know, flowery language type things. Uh, it is poetry in a sense is what he's writing, but there, there's a sort of an operative type moment in that. In whom I take refuge. In whom I take refuge. And that moment of, of understanding that there's an identity. There's an identity that I can live out of. That I'm a child of the Most High God. I can be sitting in abject failure. Moral failure. Intellectual failure. Uh, work failure. Whatever failure. The worst thing you can imagine. But in that moment... You're still a child of the Most High God. If you are a truster, if you're taking refuge, you're still a child of the Most High God. And out of those ashes, out of whatever you might think of it, there's a strength there. And that's why I think David says, the Lord is my strength. Why? Because he takes refuge you know, in that moment. No matter what's going on in his life. And, and if you know anything about the Bible, you know anything about David, um, he, he was not what you would call an upstanding citizen. Adulterer, murderer, you know, kind of guy. Um, and, and yet he was able, amidst all that, to find his identity deeper than his acts in the, in the love that the Father had for him. Any last things here, Justin, before we... I, I love just the verse 27, Psalm 18 there. It says, you rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. Hmm. Don't be prideful, you know, mm-hmm. like that. That idea, like that was what 
for me, kept me from seeing that sense of awareness that, mm -hmm. I, th that I think I'm better than I am, mm -hmm. that I know more than I know. Mm -hmm. That's not wonder. That's, that's foolishness, that's childishness. Mm -hmm. I think I, you know, you know your kids, they think they got all the answers, right? You know, David's trying to tell us, he's like, don't be proud here. That's gonna keep you out of the kingdom of God. Be humble, let yourself be open to people, especially friends who wanna call you out, be like, dude, I think you just ain't got this right now, you know? And, and, and then you find, um, you find those, that warm embrace of Jesus. He's like, that's exactly why I came here. I'm gonna exalt the, you know, humble the proud and, and exalt the humbled. Yeah. You know, it's the movement from childish to kiddish is, is a movement that takes place inside of our life when we come to realize um, that, that we are not trustable, but there is, there is someone that's trustable. And, and we begin to, to ask ourselves in those hard moments, uh, which are mostly moments of failure. I mean, let's, let's just be honest here. You know, life is just a series of failures trying to find success. And, and, and in those moments, the love of the Father can break through. Because you and I are human. We are built to be fully human. That means we're built to be known. And that wall of self-preservation keeps us from being human because we don't want people to know the craps on the other side of the wall. Well, trust me, I mean, most of us are human and we know that you're just like us. You know, you're as messed up as I am. So get off the wall. Tear it down yourself. You know, we're, we're known, to, uh, we're, we're made to be known. Uh, we're made to be discovered. You know, that, that moment when you feel like someone gets you. That someone really, you know, they give you a present. And, and it's, it's not one of those stupid presents they got off of Timu for two bucks, you know? <laughs> it's not something they just did to fill a stocking or that kind of, but, but it's like, it's you, it's like, it's you, and it, 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 you feel it, and, and you're discovered, you know, and it, and it touches you so deeply inside. We're, we're meant to live that way. We're meant to be known and discovered by other people, and when we are, uh, we, we, we have this sense of freedom, this sense of kiddishness that allows us to have the wonder and awe in life. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, we are grateful that you left heaven and came to the earth, that you lived and died, um, taking upon yourself all of that crap that we have done, all that stuff we call sin, all that, that stuff that misses the mark, that uh, we try to be you, we try to be our own protector, our own deliverer, uh, all of that stuff, Father. We're just so appreciative of the fact that, that you are uh, in full view of that. You still love us because of Jesus and his acts on the cross. And so we pray that at this Christmas and this next uh, four weeks as we uh, hear a lot of music, see a lot of twinkling, uh, get drawn into a lot of busyness, spend more money than we should, all those kinds of things, Father, that, that relate to this time of year. I, I pray for a gift, a gift of wonder in the midst of it. Just a sense to, to let that wall of self-preservation come down. To explore what it means to live out of an identity of a child of the Most High. And to, to look at life and just to be awed by other people, uh, by the beauty of your creation, 
by the, the uniqueness of this story. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son Jesus in allowing us the opportunity to live in this world and in the world to come uh, because of what you've done for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.